Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. As you're taking your seats, I'd like for you to turn in your bulletins to the text that's before us this morning. Uh, We return to the Gospel of John. We were there just a few weeks ago, but we turn today to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Today we are, let me kind of let you know of where we've been and where we're going. We're transitioning. Today's a transitional sort of sermon. We're transitioning today from our Christmas and Epiphany series about who Jesus is. And we are uh, going to see another one of those answers from the Gospel of of John and from the Sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're transitioning from our series on who Jesus is to a, a series that the session has asked for me to preach on the Lord's Supper. Now, during this past year, as you can well imagine, the session has had had all kinds of discussions and uh, in our discussions as we found ourselves as a congregation, as a session in the middle of a pandemic, uh, our discussions have been difficult, as you can well imagine. And as uh, we have been discussing uh, such things about, you know, particularly as we were in the, the, the early uh, part of spring and even the latter part of the winter in 2020, uh, as we thought about, okay, we're, we are needing to be, we're needing to be um, distant, we need to have our services live streamed, how are we going to do that, uh, as we were discussing those sorts of things, and then as we, as we transitioned in late spring and into the summer back to meeting in person, uh, we would continue to discuss now how are we going to do it how are we going to do it safely and as we were having all those discussions we found ourselves lamenting lamenting many of the things that you can experience if you're not physically together worshiping together now you can do a lot of things and we're grateful that we were able to do a lot of things and that we're able to do a lot of things even through live streaming our 11 o'clock service now the the word can be preached it can be delivered and people can hear we were grateful for that but but we were also lamenting what we couldn't do and one of the things that came foremost to our minds was communion and the fact that if you're separated, you can't be drawn physically together to enjoy this sacrament of the Lord. And our discussions went from lamenting then to logistics. Once we come back together, how can we safely commune together in a responsible way so that we don't put people inordinately at risk? And so our lament turned to logistics, and then our logistics turned to a a slew of questions, uh, a slew of questions about the Lord's Supper. Uh, What is it? How do we observe it? How frequently do we observe it? And why? 
And so in this series, we hope to give biblically faithful answers to such questions. And in so doing, we hope that all of our, not merely our minds, but our hearts are led to greater gratitude to the Lord for this beautiful, wonderful gift that he has given his church, the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And in this short series, we're going to be looking at two critical texts, two really crucial, important texts when you come to a discussion of the Lord's Supper. And those two texts are 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but also John chapter 6. And we're going to start with the Gospel of John. We're going to start with John chapter 6. And it's interesting to me, if you work your way through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them give us an account of Jesus' institution of the Last Supper in the upper room on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. John does not. John does not. But John gives us chapter 6. It's interesting, John doesn't give us an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, nor does he give us an account of the baptism of Jesus. But he does give us an account of of a sermon of Jesus, a discourse of Jesus, this bread of life, this famous, controversial bread of life sermon that we find in John chapter 6. And this sermon of Jesus... And the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, they're pointing to, this is is my argument, they're pointing to the same truth. They're pointing to the same thing, to the same divine reality. What is that divine reality? Union with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're speaking of the same thing. One is uh, Jesus is using his words. The other, he's using the symbols of bread and wine. And both are pointing to this glorious truth that believers are in union with Jesus Christ. Now let's quickly set the context for our passage. We're going to begin with verse 22. But verse 22 just doesn't pop out into out of thin air. What's going on before? Well, Jesus had miraculously, if you look earlier in the chapter, he has miraculously fed the 5,000, right? He fed the 5,000. The crowd was filled with the fish and the bread. And as I said earlier, uh, it probably was the best fish they'd ever had and the best bread that they ever had. And they were filled. They had all that they wanted. And not only were they filled, they were amazed. They were amazed at this power, this miraculous power of Jesus Christ to provide that. And because they were filled and because they were amazed, they sought right then and there to make Jesus their king. But he resisted. It was not his time. And he would not be the sort of king that they thought he would be. And so what does Jesus do? He withdraws back up the mountain. He withdraws from the crowd. 
And then that evening, his disciples uh, tried to cross the sea to Capernaum. Now, where the meal had taken place, where the feeding of the 5,000 had taken place, was most likely close to Tiberias. That's on the southwest uh, corner or side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum's on the very due north. And so they're wanting to cut across the lake to go to Capernaum. And the storm hits, a storm arose, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water, right? And it's almost as if uh, John has flipped to Mark and immediately, immediately the boat that they were all in, is, it's at Capernaum. And so they land there. And that sets us up. Now give your attention to verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And the other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The the Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Notice what he does. He doesn't say, Oh, you just misunderstood me. Notice what he says. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The word of God for the people of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a dangerous text. This is a dangerous sermon. Not my sermon so much, the sermon of Jesus. This is a dangerous sermon. And it has been so since Jesus first preached it. And it has been so since he first preached it. And it has had reoccurring similar effects down through the history of the church. On the one hand, by sovereign grace, by the sovereign working of the Holy Spirit, this sermon draws disciples ever closer to Jesus to feed on him. But on the other hand, it creates, or rather it oftentimes reveals, deserters. It has, by the working of the sovereign spirit, power to draw men to Christ, but without that work in the Holy Spirit, it oftentimes does what? Repels them. Repels them from Christ. And you see those two, very two responses at the end of this sermon. It's not printed there in the text, in the bulletin for you, but in verses 66 through 69, we read, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After hearing this sermon, they turned their backs on Jesus and they left him. They deserted him. So Jesus then said to the twelve, and I want you to hear the passion in his voice. Jesus is God, but he's the God-man. 
And he experienced human emotions. And I want you to hear his human emotion. I want you to hear his question. Many have turned their back on him. Many have departed. Many have deserted. And he turns to the twelve and he says, Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to abandon me as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Some were repelled, some deserted, some left, but some clung to him. For he had the words of eternal life. He's revealing himself as the bread of life. But remember, brothers and sisters, the bread of life is also the sword that divides. And here, his sermon divides. It divided then, and it divides now, and it's divided all the way since then till now. It was true the first time I actually heard someone uh, do an extensive treatment or give an extensive treatment to John chapter 6. Joni and I have uh, just recently become uh, ARPs. Our home church there just outside of Newnan, Georgia was White Oak Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And White Oak had a tradition. Every summer they would have what they called special services. They would bring in a minister and that minister would preach each night and you would go to church each night for four or five nights in that week. And uh, we oftentimes had some very, very good speakers and some very, very good services. But the one that really stands out to me was the series that was preached on this text. Our pastor had had a fellow, um, fellow classmate at Westminster Theological Seminary. His name was Ray Lanning. And he invited Ray to come and preach this series. And Ray took John 6 as his text for that week. And he opened up John 6, and he particularly opened it up and showed us how from John 6, from this one sermon, we see all of the doctrines of sovereign grace. I mean, that, ser- that, that, that series of sermons, they were phenomenal. Johnny and I had just come to the Reformed faith. We were, we were just eating it up. We were mesmerized. He just unfolded in very vivid and very good and faithful ways the doctrines of grace, what some would call Calvinism, straight up. And he was a fabulous preacher, and we kind of hung on his words. But not everybody did. And particularly, I'm thinking of one lady. One lady, and she happened to be the organist. Now, she had married into a family of the church. She had married a son of the congregation. And she had been at the church for several years, and she had played the organ. And it just never had clicked to her. It never had dawned on her that this church held to what we call Reformed theology. Now, that wasn't because our minister didn't preach from that perspective, didn't preach the doctrines of grace. And it certainly didn't mean that the minister before him didn't. But for whatever reason, it never lodged. It never clicked. She never understood until that week. And you could watch her each and every night. First night, she's kind of looking inquisitive about what she heard. Second night, it's more than inquisitive. She's getting a little bit upset. By the end of the week, she was hot and you could see it. You knew it. You knew it. And she ended up 
being furious. But why was she furious? She couldn't stomach this idea that our salvation is by God's sovereign grace alone. She was holding on to the idea that we, we've got to be able to do something to help save ourselves. And it drove her nuts. And she was mad. And she was so mad that within a couple of weeks she was gone. And you notice that when she's your organist. She was gone. She left. Jesus' sermon divides. But why? Well, that's one of the reasons people don't like the idea that they can't somehow save themselves or participate some way, contribute something to their salvation. They don't like to hear it's all of God by sovereign grace. Right? That's one of the reasons that this sermon divides. But the more obvious reason is not that it teaches sovereign grace, that it, and it does, but the other reason, the more obvious reason that it divides is because of the strong language Jesus uses. And boy, does he use it. Boy, does he employ it. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Jesus says some astounding, controversial things, does he not? And we're going to be looking more and more at that strong language, Lord willing, hopefully next, next Sunday evening. But for now, just know this. Jesus' words are, it's, it's hard stuff for many to take. And many don't take it. And many will leave. And many will depart. It's interesting to me that when you study the early history of the church in the Roman world, the early Christians were oftentimes accused of being cannibals engaged in incest. I want you to get that. By the Roman world around them, they think that these Christians are cannibals engaged in incest. Why? Because these Christians talk about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of this man Jesus in their love feast with their brothers and sisters. And the Romans read that they're cannibals. Sovereign grace and strong words divide. Divided many then, divide many now. And some folks can't take this strong language and they leave. But that doesn't include you. You haven't left. You're still seated where you are. Now, if you get up from this point on, I'm going to have my questions. You are where you are. Praise be to the Lord. And if you're still here, not just physically present, but if your heart is here, then this is what I want you to see this morning. This is what I want you to see and I want you to meditate on. What does the sermon of Jesus and what does the Lord's Supper, what does it point to about our union with Christ? It points to several things, as we'll, as we'll see over the next few weeks. But the one thing I want you to see this morning, very simple, it points to the who of the Lord's Supper. The who of the sermon, the who of communion, the who of union with Christ. Who are the parties? Who are the participants? It seems simple, but let me spell it out. 
Who are the parties? Who are the participants? Well, first you have the bread of life, right? You've got Jesus. But not only do you have Jesus, you've got whom? Believers. You have the bread of life and you have believers. Let's focus on Jesus. Here in our text, Jesus continues to identify himself, doesn't he? You know, we've already seen many things that he is. He's the word, right? He's the the, the good shepherd. He's the door, right? He's, He's all those things. But now he's going to identify himself some more. He's the son of man, for instance. You see that in verse 27. But he adds something new in this chapter. He adds another identity marker. He is the bread of life. This new designation is one of those great I am statements of Jesus that we find through the Gospel of John. And he drives this one home repeatedly. Notice, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 51 with just a little twist. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Three times he's pressing it home to the superlative degree. He is the bread of life. And as if that wasn't enough, he throws in some more, some variants, doesn't he? He says that he's the bread of heaven, right? He's the true bread from heaven. He's the bread from God. He's true food. He's true drink. He's the true manna. Manna. Now he's he's casting our minds back to the Old Testament. What did manna do for the Israelites? It fed them, right? Pretty simple. It fed them. It nourished them. It sustained the Israelites on their journey to the promised land. And Jesus says, that's me. That's me. I'm the true manna to sustain you on your pilgrimage to the promised land. I'm what sustains you for your journey. I'm your very life. Like bread that you take into your body. When you eat bread, you know this. And children, you know this. When you eat bread, uh, your body turns that bread into what? Sugar? Energy? Fuel? Life? Right? Like bread. Jesus says, take me in, receive me. I will be that which energizes you and fuels your pilgrimage, your journey. I will be your life. I will fuel you, not merely, not merely physically, I'll do that, but I'll, I'll fuel you spiritually and I will give you life. And not just any old life, life eternal. We've got a proverb, we we draw the proverb out from the book of Psalms and also the prophet Ezekiel, and we talk about bread being the what? The staff of life, right? Now what do, and uh, this this proverb used to work a lot better before uh, gluten allergies, you know? Uh, something's gone on in our nation with gluten allergies. But back before it came, all that sort of stuff came along, we said bread is the staff of life. Now what did we mean when we said bread is the staff of life? We meant, we meant that you must eat bread to survive. You must eat bread 
to survive. And Jesus is picking up these ideas and he said, that bread, it's me. It's me. The who of this sermon, the who of communion is Jesus. The Jesus who took on human flesh, descended, became man, and dwelt and taught on the earth and taught and preached this sermon and who would one day ascend into heaven. Verse 60. You don't have it there, but hear it again. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So whether physically on the earth or physically in heaven, Jesus is the bread of life whom we need. And don't miss it. It's simple. As I said this morning, I'm not, I'm not doing rocket science up here today. The who of this sermon, the who of the table is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ offers himself beautifully and lovingly and intimately. He offers himself to those who believe. Take me. This is, this language, this sermon is a sermon about unfathomable intimacy with Jesus. Receive me. I, verse 51, am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the who of communion, but astoundingly and amazingly and beautifully, so are we if we believe in him. So are we if we believe in him. The who of the sermon, the who of communion, must include the bread of heaven. But astoundingly, gloriously, it includes believers. This is not a table for one. This is not a table for two. This is not a table for four or five. This is a table for Christ and all believers. All who have been saved by sovereign grace, this table is set for you. Notice the emphasis not upon, only upon the bread of life, but upon those who believe. Verse 28, then Jesus said to him, or they said to him, the crowd said to him, what must we do to be doing the words of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you what? Believe in him whom he has sent. Go down to verse 35. See it again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Go down to verse 40. Notice, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In verse 47, truly, truly, without a shadow of doubt, this is absolutely true. 
You can bank on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, what? Believes has eternal life. Verse after verse after verse. Believe in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Feed upon Jesus. Believe in Jesus. The table is not a table for one. It's a table for Jesus Christ and all who believe. It's the new covenant meal. And when I think about the new covenant, it makes me think about the old covenant. I think about the old covenant sacrament, the old covenant meal of the Passover. And the Passover table was limited. It was limited to just Israelites and to their servants if their servants had been circumcised. The Old Testament Passover table was not open to foreigners. This table that Jesus preaches about This table that is on display in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it's limited too. But it's limited to all believers from all nations and all of time. Come to the table and eat. This is the table of the Lord, of the the bread of life, and for believers It's for those who are looking to Jesus. Is that you? If it's you, Jesus says, come and eat. Come and drink. Come and receive me. Now, not all in that crowd in Capernaum would receive him, would they? The grumblers and the deserters weren't receiving eternal life. They weren't believing. But the ones who did believe were receiving Jesus. To believe was to eat and drink. To eat and drink was to believe. It was to trust. It was to look. It was to come to Jesus. And it remains so today. Will you eat and drink this day? I hope you get a sense of how astounding the grace is that's being extended to you today. Here's astounding grace. The Jesus that preached that sermon in that synagogue on the shore of the Sea of Galilee wants His people today to receive Him. Like food and drink. He wants for you to receive Him And take him in that he is a part of you. He wants to and he does indwell his people by his spirit. Verse 63 says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But who are those who come to him? Who are those who look upon him? Who are those who feed upon him? Who are those who drink his blood? They are sinners. They are sinners. Sinners who, like so many who were gathered there in Capernaum that day, who have too often sought the gift more than the giver. Sinners who've been concerned about filling their bellies more than filling their souls. 
Sinners who've often, too often, wanted to fashion a Jesus into a king of their own making rather than the king they needed. Sinners who want signs, oh, give me the pizzazz, give me, the, give me all the fun stuff, who want the signs, but too often not the reality. Sinners who far too often, like in the year 2020 and January of 2021, who far too often have grumbled and complained rather than have prayed. Sinners like you and I. But notice, sinners saved by sovereign grace. Notice verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll never kick them to the curb. I'll never say I'm done with you. I'll never throw them into a lake of eternal fire. I'll never cast them out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will hold on to you and he will not let you go. Well, I'll raise it up on the last day. And you got that promise too, right? When you die and your body's laying in the grave, there's hope for that body because on that great and coming day of the Lord, your body will be raised as well. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. If you eat and drink from this table today, and if you do so in faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do so by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting and loving Jesus as your host and as the meal, you are the ones that the Father has given to Jesus. Let that sink in. If you truly, by faith, eat and drink at this table today. You've been given to Jesus by the Father. And Jesus will not let you go. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Saved by sovereign grace Hallelujah. And if that is us, here's our prayer. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to circle it in your bulletin. If you've got the bulletin before you, circle verses 33, but particularly circle verse 34. Here's your prayer. Here's our prayer. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Make these words your own. Sir, give us this bread always. Sir, give us this bread always. Give us Jesus always. And Jesus offers himself to you this day. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your powerful, your sovereign spirit is at work in the hearts of the elect. That it's your spirit, he is at work in all of our hearts, drawing us to Jesus, that we might receive Jesus this day by faith. We would pray for this blessing, this glorious blessing. We would pray for it in the name of Jesus.